Hello and welcome to the More Than Wellness podcast. I am your host Mick Ryan and I am a well-being facilitator and consultant. Now the intention of the More Than Wellness podcast is to be of service to your mental, emotional, spiritual and physical well-being and to interview guests who can facilitate that. So today my guest is Richmond Heath. Richmond is the coordinator of TRE Australia. So you may have heard me mention TRE before on this podcast. And you might think, what is TRE? Well, TRE stands for Trauma Release Exercises, which, to be honest, is a bit of a misnomer, as you'll hear from Richmond, because you don't have to have trauma to benefit from TRE. However, David Berselli, who developed TRE, spent a lot of time in war zones and areas of conflict, and through his observations of how people, and more specifically, the body processes and heals trauma, he developed TRE from that. Now, I don't want to go on too much right now because this is a long episode and it really doesn't require much from me at all. Richmond speaks with inspiring honesty, vulnerability and clarity about his healing journey and where he hopes to go with TRE and beyond. And then at the end, I'll take some time to unpack and explain and attempt to summarize Richmond's insights. Now, this is a really, really powerful episode, and I think you will find it as inspiring to listen to now as I did when we recorded it. So without further ado from me, here we go. Richmond, thank you so much for joining me on the More Than Wellness podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time today. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Mick. I'm really appreciative of having a chance. That's awesome. So let's start off by uh, giving people a bit of a background about who you are and what you do. Um, so, yeah, my background was I did physiotherapy uh, at uni and then I did a, a long, weird and wonderful path. I worked in Aboriginal studies, I worked in suicide prevention, I worked in environmental education um, overseas and then I came back to sort of the body-based field doing, I qualified as a Bowen therapist. Then I worked for about three or four years as a Pilates instructor and from that you can get a pretty clear idea. I wasn't really sure what I was meant to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually uh, a friend gave me a DVD for TRE um, and, and that was basically really found. I didn't find my purpose then, but I found, I used to describe it as I found a vehicle that I was going to be using um, to sort of fulfill my purpose. So that was in about 10 years ago. And so since then, I've basically been the national coordinator of TRE, um, TRE certification trainer and have spent the last 10 years primarily running you know, public workshops and professional trainings all around this, all around Australia and in the early days also in New Zealand. Okay, so it's an interesting point you brought up then about purpose. So you feel a theory is a vehicle. You feel like you have a handle on that purpose yet? Well, I, I more and more clearly uh, in the recent times and um, I'm really indebted to, there's a couple of guys um, Marcus and Andy from the Wellness Leadership Academy, which I did a little bit of their training and then and then stopped. Um, but they were just really clear that knock, it just knocked me in my seat, knocked me the seat really, or you know, knocked me around. They just kept saying, "You are not your modality." This is to all the people who are there trying to work out how to do stuff. You are not your your modality. What's your magic? Oh, hang on, sorry, I just got a call there. Um, sure. You still here with me there? Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, just because we're on the phone, so it might ring through. Um, so they kept saying, you are not your modality. You know, you've got to bring your magic through. 
And when I first started with TRE, I, you know, I really was clearly, I wanted to position myself to be Mr. TRE Australia, which meant, mm-hmm. you know, I was going to be leading it. I was going to be at the head of the ship and I was going to, you know, that was going to be my life. That's what I thought. Um, and when those guys were doing that, I pulled out of their training because I was like, okay, I am purely focused on my modality, not really myself. And, you know, and, and that's been a great, um, you know, that's been a real gift for me and but i've been searching for right what's what's really more about me and my role and um since that that's probably three years since i did that and i was just like i don't know what my purpose is but even when i first did learn tre at some point and i was doing it i had this clear sense of going hang on this is not me this is the vehicle that will you know carry me now at that point it felt like my job was to be all about the vehicle spread TRE, teach people TRE and all that sort of thing. And so through that process and the amazing, you know, personal growth and transformation I've experienced, like it's quite phenomenal who I am now compared to who I was 10 years ago. And I've still got a long, long way to go. But, you know, the, probably the most amazing thing for me is the way that I'm growing and maturing and healing. And um, so about three years after Andy and Marcus, it, it beca- it's becoming clear now of the, this sense for me of relationship um, and helping people and empowering people to heal their relationships. And by that, I don't just mean relationships with their partner, although that might be mm-hmm. or with their kids, but literally the experience of being in relationship with all things. Um, you know, the relation, my relationship with my, or my conscious mind's relationship with my body, my, you know, my organism's relationship with, you know, the plants and my dog and animals and spirit or the world or the earth or whatever we want to call it. And even as I talk now, I'm getting, you know, chills through my whole, all my hairs have stood on end on my legs and my arms and the back of my neck. And I feel that, that chill when I'm speaking this because it's still relatively um, you know, new for me and getting clearer. And um, yeah, the more I think about it, the more, you know, I don't know, you can't see it, but all my hairs are standing on end. And, I, I, and again, I'm very indebted and extremely grateful that about, um, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, I got introduced to Tramby Aboriginal College and a, an Aboriginal elder there, Jack Beetson and a whole range of people. Um, do, and I did an Aboriginal studies course. Um, it was actually my friend Meredith who introduced me to this linger longer Aboriginal philosophy farm where I spent about a year and a half towards the end of my course working on um, basically assisting and supporting this guy, Jack Beetson. And throughout my training of the, you know, it's about a two-year part-time Aboriginal studies course, um, we had to hand in lots and lots of different, um, we had the, you know, lots of different assignments about different things, about our identity and all this different stuff. But we had one major assignment that we had to hand in at the end, which is basically you had to summarise kind of what you'd learned about yourself and Aboriginal culture. It was like the big picture. You know, you've had two years of this incredible journey and being, initiated into country and all sorts of stuff and i remember just the joy and the happiness and i can still picture it now when i went up to my uh my trainer alan i think it was that was who it was and i said to him i said alan i want to hand in i want to hand in my assignment and we were just having lunch at tramby i said i want to hand in my assignment right and he's like okay great and i went relationship it's all about relationship and that was what i had learnt in my Aboriginal studies, you know, that was what I took away that I was being taught. It was all about relationship with the earth, with the land, with the self, with our, you know, everything. 
And so there's been this ongoing progression for me over the years of stepping into the truth that ultimately that's what most brings me alive and feels like that's what my that's what my my passion is. Um, always, I haven't really spoken to this about so many people, but when I was about eight years old, Mick, I I must have started watching the news on TV because my father watched all the you know, four and lots of news, yeah. and I was starting to see for the first time, you know, world violence and wars. And I clearly remember going into my room at my on my brother's old desk that had one of those laminated world maps on it. And I had made a decision to write letters to all the all the leaders of the world and invite them to the farm. A little bit grandiose, but anyway, mm-hmm. sure to invite them to the farm to get them to come and sit down to talk about it so they'd stop fighting. Because and even now as I say it, I start to get a bit a bit teary. Um, because I just couldn't understand you know, what, what was happening? Like I was growing up in, you know, standardly dysfunctional, safe and secure family unit. And then on the world, there's all this, this stuff. And, you know, as a seven or eight year old, I look back now and think if I hadn't written those letters, they probably would have happened because, you know, if I write them now as a 40 year old, you're like just another 48 year old. Yeah. As an eight year old, people would have been going, oh, it would have happened. But what happened for me, Mick, was after I'd written down, I started making a list and I wrote down the, name of the Prime Minister for Australia, who I knew, President of America, who I knew, Prime Minister of England, who I knew from the news. And then I looked Mm -hmm. at the world map and there was like 600 countries and I had no idea. And I basically put that piece of paper in the thing and I gave up, you know, I collapsed. And I kind of have been carrying this thing, you know, people say, you know, what do I really want? And I know deep in my heart, I want, you know, world peace as being that, that driving thing. And it's only been in recent years that that all what I realise about that is that what's driving that for me is that I don't feel at peace and at rest while there's other fighting and wars and people are, people are suffering. And so it did always had my father, you know, I was very lucky. My mother was a woman of, of deep service. My father was a man who was constantly volunteering in the community. So I was always growing up in a culture of service and, and contributing. Um, and one of the, you know, one of the great things for me with getting TRE was all of a sudden I I could see this way that I could contribute and there was this mechanism that could help people heal. And, you know, the saying I, I used to say was, you know, world peace, one body at a time, mine and empowering people how to do this. So I remember when I first went to South Africa after I just started with TRE, um, and to a to a training with David Berselli and one of the days we were doing a, a brainstorm with all the global trainers there about, you know, what was the vision for TRE and we we're all talking about different things and everyone went to lunch and I was left in the room on my own. I went and wrote up on the, on the blackboard. I wrote, you know, world peace, one body at a time. And, um, you know, as much as I couldn't embody it, Ed, that was like the true, that was, you know, my true, my true impulse. Um, and, you know, I've been just trying to chip away at introducing this to Australia and empowering people with this self-healing mechanism. But what I want to bring full circles recently at the last Menergy, which, you know, you've been to as well, but mm-hmm. the recent Menergy, this amazing men's gathering, I've been so, when I look back and stop, I've been so fortunate to meet so many great people who've um, loved and supported and accepted me 
and um, throughout my life and my, my friends and stuff from managing it. The, the most recent manager does this amazing young American guy called JV or Juvian who's running this manifesto event in Sydney and he's like, you know, right on track on his purpose and he's kind of like a young Tony Robbins combined with when I first heard him and the way he spoke. I was just like, this is like a young Martin Luther King. The man is, you know, he's on fire and amazing. And so when I went to attend his workshop, he did this some incredible stuff where he's working with his about purpose. What's your purpose? And, you know, so I'm just writing down, well, world peace. And, um, and I'm thinking, well, that's a pretty thing. And then through some interactions with some other people, he was asking someone else, you know, what do you want? They're saying something. He's going, no, you've got to be more specific. Yeah, you got to be more specific. He told a very funny story. He said, oh, you know the story about the woman who was trying to manifest she wanted a husband and she had 10 affairs with other people's husband because she wasn't specific enough. She didn't say, I want my husband, whether it was a true <laughs> yeah. story or not. But he was saying, you need to be specific. And that really rocked me because I was like, yeah, you know, world peace. It's kind of like, how do you do that? I'm working towards it. But here and, and I sat with it and I let it sort of shift me and, and you know, I'll get very emotional when I, talk about this is after a while and you know i wrote okay world peace is my purpose but it's a bit big how can i be more specific and i didn't know it and it came to me this is only like um three or four weeks ago it really came to me that you know my world really is my family and my partner and my my two kids and um, my dog especially and um and you know and i'd come to that through a long long time of difficulty with you know the relationship with my partner and my children and the struggles that so many of us go go through and another thing that i did on my journey and i was very blessed to to be led by a guy called kurt sheen running traditional native american vision quests where you know after nine months of preparation we'd go and spend three days and nights up on a mountain with a fire and our with no food no water no no sleep kind of asking for a vision or to receive some information at the end of my fourth year of doing that. When I went into this vision quest with this kind of question about, do I stay in this relationship or do I you know, leave my partner? And if I do, it means I'm going to lose living with my kids and I was completely torn and but the relationship was difficult. And I had, you know, these dreams of the perfect fantasy of a supermodel that's going to make me perfectly happy. And very early in the, um, very early in this sweat lodge, so this like sauna on steroids, even before we went and sat down on the hill, there was this darkness and we're in this completely dark room. And I just had this vision literally of like a little spark in the distance and kind of the knowing or the words, I didn't hear it outside me, but the knowing or the words of, it was just my family is the most important thing to me. And in that moment, it was like, right, that's that you know my decision's really clear and and what would often happen to me then mick was i'd go and do vision quest i'd get really connected and grounded and i would be just overflowing with love for my partner you know just like like i feel now just Mm -hmm. the gratitude and the love and then the closer i the closer i would get back towards her the more that would start to fall away to the point that even if I felt that for a couple of hours when I first got home, a day or two later we'd be starting, you know, I'd be shut down and contracted. And, and of course, I spent years and years sort of blaming her and trying to work with myself and all those, you know, 
all those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of there's lots of things go through my mind to talk about here. But in, so basically, what I'm saying is, it's been this massive journey of a, str- a difficult relationship. And I, the way I put it in terms now, it's, it took my partner and I 17 years to finally make a secure attachment with each other. Before that, it was like we were, our baseline was disconnected and we were trying hard to stay together. And then through sort of some grace, um, good luck, good fortune, good whatever, we've managed to get through, you know, the most critical, almost like breaking up. I got to the point where I was like, this is over and I'm done. And then and somehow that cracked my, my heart open at the pain I saw my partner was going through and it cracked her heart open that she didn't want to be separate. And we had this moment of, you know, meeting each other openly heart to heart. And the last sort of four months has been, you know, one of the most extraordinary things, you know, I've ever experienced is a psychologist that I go and see on a regular basis every couple of months is, is kind of like my keel. You know, I go in and check in with him and just let him know mm-hmm. how my life is in amongst <clears> the ups <throat> and downs and, you know, he's so he's been he's known me for well, sixteen, seventeen years since we were first together, uh, me and my partner and having my first child. And he really just describes it as a miracle. And I you know, in some ways and I now feel like our baseline is we are secure and attached and then when we have our little argy barges we kind of move apart and but we're still connected. And this all brings me sort of full circle to this journey of um, uh, of this my relationship with my family and how you know lucky and grateful I am to have this partner who's stuck with me for 17 years not many people would have put up with you know the quality or the lack of quality in our relationship mm-hmm. and so when I was at Menergy I had you know what's my purpose this what's my purpose world peace not specific enough what's my purpose you know, my my family is my you know, my family is my world. In amongst the world peace and all the other people out there's going, I want peace in my world, which basically means I want peace in my family. I want harmony and resonance for me in my relationships with with my partner, with my my two beautiful daughters, with my dog, as well as you know, rippling out from there. You know, I've also been aware that for whatever reason, for me the my avenue to uh, access in the world or to impact in the world has always felt very much to start with me and then ripple out. Um, I've got an, uh, an eldest brother um, in a much, you know, my very again, loving and kind and supportive brothers and sisters, brother and one sister. But my eldest brother who'd started these amazing, um, started the Reach Out website, Youth Suicide Prevention website, was one of the first you know, people to use the internet for a social justice or social social good cause. And, uh, and I lived with him for a few years and I worked on that and I saw the impact it was having on his family that he was dedicating his life to this, you know, this service. And, you know, sadly at the time, I think I was judgmental of that because for me, I was like, oh, well, you know, no good helping other people's families if you're not helping your own or, you know, like so many of us men out in the world doing it and coming at the cost of our relationships. And of course, now I have a completely different take and you know level of respect and honour for what what he's done and how he how he's done it. Um, but for me, for some reason, it was always coming back to 
this need to start with me. And, and even when I talk, Mick, about going, you know, I want peace in my world, I'm aware that that's also, I want peace in, in within me. I want to feel, you know, that my partner and my girls, that my dog that they, and our family is happy and not just peaceful. This has probably been a really big thing in the last few months. In that David Berselli, the TRE founder, um, yeah, he's always talks about peace and when he sends me an email or he sends people email, his sign-off will be peace. And funnily enough, for you know, a number of years I've been trying to find my own email sign-off or, <laughs> you know, I've written this and that or, you know, and what's been coming to me really, you know, recently and, and shifting in the way that I share TRE and this tremor thing, which we, we can talk about in a minute, that it's really shifting for me away from just finding peace because for me, peace is not enough. I don't want my family to just stop fighting. I mean, that's a great, important first step. I want my family to have harmony and vitality and joy and aliveness as well. And, you know, kind of ultimately that, that personal freedom that, that we all, we're all looking for. So, you know, the, the coming out of the fight and flight and, the, and the, all that, that's a, a wonderful first step. But for me, there's this sense of harmony, which is about, you know, literally like harmony with singing. It's like I can sing, on the sh- I can sing in the shower on my own and have a great time. But it's not the same as singing in a massive group of people and having, you know, having resonance and the, as, as we're coming together to create something more than we are on our own. And in order to do that, we need to have healed or to be healing, you know, all of those unresolved traumas and woundings that we, most of us carry in relation to relation, being in relationship with other people. And that as we do that, you know, it's not a matter of just going, oh, thank God the fighting stopped, the, you know, all the argy-bargy, all the anger. Not to say that stopped in my life. It's changing dramatically but still, you know, nowhere near how I'd like to be and how I'd like it to be. But when that happens, it's not just about getting rid of that. It's about coming alive and having, great, the joy or the gratitude or the overflowing, you know, um, the overflowing sense of graciousness and how, you know, for me personally, how blessed I am in amongst all the all the difficulties. So I'm fi- finally coming to an end on this train of thought and a bit and a bit lost, but I don't know. I suppose that's, that's it. It's coming back to purpose and where I see where I've been and where I'm going. And TRE is still going to be a huge part of that because it's empowering people mm-hmm. in healing, healing their relationships. And the, for me, the missing piece in my life and I think for a lot of people in our Western world is that TRE is working with healing our physiology rather yeah. than just trying to do it intellectually. And, you know, Mick, I have spent my whole life trying to be the best person I can be. And, you know, my, my parents were Catholics. So I was brought up in that model. You know, I spent my whole life trying to be like Jesus and love everyone and do that. And, and of course I fall infinitely short. And even as a kid, I remember, you know, saying to my, saying to my mom once, it's like, well, you know, it's all right to be like Jesus, but what if I hate people? You know, what if I'm really angry? What do I do? And the only solution that I was ever really given was like, well, you just don't do it. You you know you consciously override it and you force yourself to be a good mm-hmm. person. And I you know I did that and I tried that as hard as I probably could, and discovered that it didn't work. And that through experiences of 
deep shame and social uh, isolation and fear at going to boarding school. And then over my 20s and 30s and, you know, trying to socialise and fit in, I was always a very sensitive guy. I didn't like alcohol, I didn't like drinking. So I drank to fit in. Um, but because I wasn't really fitting in, then I was always on the, the outer. I was always stuck between, the, you know, the drinking crowd or the cool people plus the other people who are a bit arty. And, you know, I'd do the play, which meant they kind of liked me. And then I'd be a hardcore football player and they'd kind of like me, but I was never really in any, in any group. Um, and so living in this permanent state of basically chronic hypervigilance and anxiety, which I had no idea about, I just thought, man, it was a bit tense and a bit stressed. You know, I look back on my time at boarding school where, you know, thankfully I didn't have any sexual abuse or physical abuse, but I lived in a constant state of social anxiety about being humiliated and publicly ridiculed, which happened it didn't happen to a lot of us it was kind of just it was like lord of the flies it was the way it worked but it wasn't until i went back to the boarding school 30 years later after not having gone back there supposedly to support my brother and setting up a and some people setting up a monument to people who'd been sexually abused at the school over the years and i was there thinking oh, i'm here you know supporting my brother and i walked around that school and everywhere i went with one of my other brothers we'd go it was we had a story Mm-hmm. And I realized because I'd been t- doing TRE and I was starting to understand the way trauma affects us physi- physiologically and how the body carries that, you know, I came to go, wow, I spent four years in permanent hypervigilance, um, which had the impact of, you know, my body. I played lots of sport. That's how I kept happy. I played you know, cricket was my life as a 20-year-old and my dream. But I got to sort of 25, 30 and my body started to shut down. I had chronic shoulder pain. I couldn't swim anymore. I couldn't run and do triathlons anymore because my ankles were, the calves were permanently shot. I had chronic low back pain. And I remember saying to my brother when I was about 30 at one point, I called him up and I said, oh, Bill, I can't, I can't do all the things I used to do to keep myself happy. You know, basically, which meant was I can't do all the sport and exercise, which used to be the you know the thing that would would keep me keep me happy. So I had a really clear sense that my my life and almost my body was grinding down. And you know, when I look back now, recently when I was at Menergy, I, I felt called and held a space for men to come together to, to talk around the topic of suicide. And you know, not that I was ever to the point of you know, really contemplating or creating a plan, you know, thankfully probably primarily through the love and support of all the people around me and the resources that I had available to me. Um, you know, when I had my, when we moved back to Melbourne with our first child and I was struggling with being a father, I was struggling with being a, a partner. Um, I, I was working, um, you know, struggling with what work I could do. And when we first had a child, I was working, Two days a week, six hours, that was all I could manage in juggling with my family, partly because I was overwhelmed and partly because I didn't want to spend all this time away. Working as an allied health assistant, so basically a physio assistant, um, basically delivering frames to old people as part of a community health uh, program. So I got to drive around and uh, you know, listen to the radio and then deliver a frame to some old lady or some old man, have a cup of tea, have a chat. And that was really the the level of my capacity that that was all I could cope with. Um, and so, you know, at different times, the kind of 
you know, suicidality would come to my mind again, as I say, not to a depth of that, that many people experience, but it would also be just this sense of going, I can't see any way out. This is, life is just overwhelming. I seem, life seems to be getting worse. And I, I just, in those times of those depths of pain, just go, I didn't want to do it. But I just, I couldn't, it was an option. And I just couldn't find a, a better option. Or, yeah, I couldn't think of a better option, or obviously I could. Um, you know, it's so sad that so many people don't have a better option or can't mm-hmm. find that better option. Um, but so I'm sort of, what I'm, I'm sharing this to sort of give a picture of going, you know, my life really felt like it was grinding down and that I'd been trying to do everything that my culture and everyone was telling me about, you know, be a good person, do your counselling, do all that sort of stuff. But it wasn't working and it wasn't enough on its own. And that's where really, probably for me, actually, the big turning point was when I first experienced Bowen therapy which is like a subtle form of uh, manipulating the fascia in the body, which I describe best as like doing control out delete on your computer. So rather than doing massage where the massage person is making the difference. And I was extremely blessed to learn. Uh, My first course was with uh, a woman who's called the grandma of Bowen in Australia, um, Anne Schubert, um, who then developed the spinoff of Mind uh, Mind Body Bowen, where they would do, just two little rolls over your lower back and then leave your body to respond. And that was a total paradigm shift for me as a physiotherapist. I'd been trained that I had to have the knowledge. I had to make the changes in the body. And if I wasn't putting my hands on you and doing things, then that I shouldn't be getting paid. And all of a sudden, you know, I'll never forget the day this man did two little moves on the lower back. And my partner said, look, don't think about it. Don't judge it. Don't try and understand it. Just trust the process. And so I was lying on a table face down. He did these two little moves on my back. And he said, I'm just going to leave you for a little while and then I'll come back. I'm thinking, oh, that's weird. And I could hear him outside pulling his washing off the line and this is all weird and unprofessional. And then all of a sudden it felt like the bed started to tip on an angle with my head down and my feet up. And I remember literally starting to hold onto the sheets with my hands that I was lying on. And I lay there for a while and my little physio paradigm, my brain was thinking, why, why would they tip the why would they tip the bed up? They must want to get more blood flow to my brain. And, mm-hmm. and then I was in this little, my little ego was going crazy going, oh, I'm going to open my eyes and have a look. Oh, no, Nicole said, trust it, don't question it. So I was there after about 10 minutes. I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to open my eyes. And I lifted my eyes, opened my eyes and had a look and the bed was flat. I was like, oh, my God, what is going on? I put my head back down and I felt like I was going to slide off the top of the bed. So I had this experience of going, my God, something extraordinary is happening in my body. And what was wonderful, it wasn't because the massage therapist was there making it happen. So yeah. this is happening inside me. After about 10 minutes, my body or you know, my body flattened back and the guy came and said, hey, go. I said, no, I feel like my body's tipping. He said, I'll leave you for a bit longer. After 10 minutes, he came back and it had all calmed down. I was back to flat. He said, all right, I'll do the next two moves. He did the next two little moves, I think on my buttocks. And then he left the room again and it, it felt like the left side of my body was as big as the whole room and the right side of my body was the size of a walnut split in half in the middle. So in that moment, I was just hooked. I was like, this is the weirdest, most fascinating. They didn't teach me any of this stuff in physio school. And so from that moment, I was really hooked. And then I went and did bone therapy because I was just so enamored with this sense of the body was doing this stuff. Not, not me, not the therapist, or, yeah. you know. And that's what led me to do bone therapy and um, 
and then you know, went back to Pilates and that's what I loved about TRE and what, what got me the moment that um, one of my mates, again, so blessed to have been introduced to TRE by my good friend, Dr. Andrew Cram, who gave me the DVD. I did the exercises one night. I had this tiny little shake in my, in my thighs, almost imperceptible. And then I slept like I hadn't slept for 30 years. I woke up the next day and my feet were heavy. I was grounded. I was still. I was calm. I was peaceful. I was connected back with myself. It was totally just extraordinary in that moment. I knew, I was like, this is doing something. I, I can't explain what it's doing. I can tell you what it did, which took me from this chronic, stressed-out person to going, my God, it gave me this taste of peace and freedom in that moment and to the depth that my body was able to do, not that I understood any of that at the time. I was just like, right, I know inside my body this what this is doing. I can't explain why or how or any of those mechanisms, but that really started me on the journey to contact David Berselli. So, you know, do you come out to Australia or whatever? He hadn't been. And then a f- six months later, he contacted me again and a few other people and said, look, I'm, I'd love to come to Australia. And I was just lucky to be in the right place at the right time where I was finishing my Pilates teaching job as a physio and had, had had experience traveling around Australia doing presentations or on su- suicide prevention so I contacted him and said, hey, Dave, I've done this sort of stuff before. I've organized these tours around Australia. I can bring you out to Australia. And thankfully, he said yes. And we sort of took it from there. And um, again, what was, what was driving me and what I'm so passionate about, Mick, is this, this level of empowerment and being able to be in relationship with my own body and to connect with and awaken and use my body's own innate healing capacity for want of a better word for what it actually is. And that's what's, that's what's really driven me. Um, it's what's still driving me in TRE globally because it is a, it is a self empowering tool that we can leverage and we can teach people. This is the thing. It's not a technique or a modality. TRE is just one framework of many in so many cultures that have deliberately understood and used this shaking or involuntary movement phenomenon for health and well-being, both physical, mental, emotional, you know, psychological, spiritual health and well-being. And thankfully, TRE is a a way that gives us a model to make sense of it and explain it and neutralize it so we don't have to only interpret it within the limitations of our own individual culture or religious belief systems by using this kind of western scientific paradigm of and this is only one way of the tremors in a trauma release mechanism so a you know that sense that we get a shock and the body starts to shake and it's not a pathology it's actually the body's recovery response to the shock you know, down-regulating, releasing. Um, and again, that's only one part of it, and that was David's, you know, that was David's focus because he was working in war zones and emergency, you know, relief and natural disasters. So he was working in highly charged, in shock, in trauma uh, countries and experiences. So he was seeing it in the context of this is a down-regulating recovery reflex. And... So it was, and, and as I experienced that first time, it was like, my God, this is, this is, I've calmed down. I've found some sense of peace and connection. And then over the sort of 10 years of following the journey um, and wanting to share that with other, with other people, you know, gradually and, and 
through, you know, again, lots of people. My, my friend Andrew Cram, who will keep, every time I think I've got it and I understand what it's about, he'll go, nah, there's more to the story. And um, my dear friend, Fernando Aguiar, that I'm doing these Tremor Revolution workshops. And, um, and these other people are talking about coming alive and it's not enough just to relax. It, you know, it's not just a recovery response. This is a process where the body starts to move spontaneously and voluntarily in so many ways that are bringing us alive, like animals coming out of hibernation. You know, mm-hmm. it's bringing them back to life. Um, orgasm. What a great, what a great example of. It doesn't have to be about releasing trauma. This blissful, you know, energy. Before at the start of this program, when I was talking about my purpose, and you know, my hairs are standing on the ends, and my I'm getting these chills running through my spot, you know, my whole body. They're just the bliss and the ecstasy of, of that, as well as at other times, the shaking and the crying and all the, you know, all the grief and that sort of stuff. And um, so this has been, you know, what I'm passionate about is not just about helping people recover from trauma. Absolutely, that's a big part of it. But then what? Once we're out of that trauma state, when we're out of survival mode, it's also a vehicle to help us come alive and become more authentic and get more connected to ourselves. And as we drop our armoring and our wounding to come into more open hearted relationship with ourselves and the world, that's in a way that's mutually beneficial, that's, you know, in service, but not at the cost of me that, you know, society tends to put on us, whether women or may or men, um, and, you know, I'm just, I just feel so grateful and so passionate and positive about it because in the same way as I watch in my own body and as I see in the bodies of those people who keep using this, you know, using this tremor reflex or response for want of a better word, it appears that it is inevitable that my organism or my physiology is constantly trying to move me not just back to homeostasis but into states of growth and maturity and literally in my own body, I have seen the progression of more parts of my body coming alive, new parts of freedom. Then I discover the next part of unresolved tension that I didn't even know was there, and that falls away. And so this, this ongoing innate impulse that we're working with of our organism or our, our spirit or our life force, whatever we want to call it, that is bringing us to life and getting us not just connected to ourselves but to others to the world around us, to spirit, ancestors, future, all those sort of, all those sort of things. And for me, one of the, I have to say, and, and early this morning, what was happening for me was, and I was explaining to my friend Fernando, he said, how are you going? I said, I said, I am so full of gratitude and overflowing excitement and joy and positivity for where, where the world is heading, where I'm heading, where I see things heading as this phenomenon of, you know, following and allowing this organic impulse in individuals to grow and flower. I said, I feel so overwhelmingly excited by it. It is killing me. I feel like I'm going to be shattered and blown apart into pieces in a similar way, but opposite to the way when we feel traumatized, we feel like this is just shattering me. I can't contain it. I can't cope with this level of intensity um, in the experience. And ever since the beginning of TRE, Mick, I've always had this sort of scene that the individual human body is like the microcosm and the planet or the globe and all the people on it is like the macrocosm. Mm-hmm. And just as, and this is what, you know, this is what gives me so much hope in amongst the suffering that there's in, in all of us and in the world is it 
watching every individual person's body who allows this natural impulse or their life force to move them towards health as they keep doing it. I can see the progression in front of them, just as you would when you work with people. You see their tension fall away. You see their wounding start to heal. You see them coming alive. And just as that tremor or that movement or the cells of my own individual body, just as that progressively is coming more alive, so too as TRE and all the other, all the other modalities and practices that use this phenomenon like... Um, you know, shaking Qigong, bioenergetic shaking in Bali with Radu Bagus, um, Katsujun Undo, the translating roughly as regenerative movement from, from uh, I'm pretty sure, Japan. You know, Seiki Jutsu that the ancient samurai used. The, um, the Nyom, I can't pronounce it, the Kalahari Bushman, which describing as the spirit of them they used to connect to the spirit and bring them alive. Um, you know, the Swahili midwives deliberately keeping women standing up after birth to make sure they come, their tremors and their shaking and their convulsions come to a complete stop so they don't get basically post-birth trauma complications. Um, you know, mystic, mystic uh, Christianity, um, we're all interpreting it different ways and giving it different meaning, but it all seems to be doing the same, same thing. And even with TRE, which uses a, you know, a, a neurophysiological model. I love saying, I love getting in my workshops where I'll get to the point. I say, now guys, this is just another story mm-hmm. yeah. in the same way that we're saying, you know, we don't really know what energy is. We don't know what life force is. We don't know where, how do we all start? We really don't know, but it makes sense to us. And that's why I love the neuroscience because to our Western mind, it helps us surrender and say, Hey, let's just experience it and see where it takes us. Um, Latahan uh, again is a, or Subud, which with the practice of Latahan coming out of Indonesia um, and linked to Sufi practices where same thing, people are just spot, surrendering to the spontaneous expression and movement in their body, whether it's shaking, tremoring, moving, stretching, crying, speaking, sounding. So this is not, TRE is not a new impulse on the planet. It's just a new westernised interpretation and model that links in and and critically though it links in the trauma model. And this is a long winded way of getting back to it is the key thing that TRE and Bowen that started with Bowen gave to me was healing in my physical body, healing the underlying subconscious physiological patterns that just coming at things consciously was, have been unable to touch for me. And recently I've been loving this model of the iceberg with, you know, whatever it is, I don't know the exact figures, 10% above the surface or, you know, 20% above and 80% yeah. below. And this is what a magic about this, this, it's not really, it's not the magic of TRE. It's the magic of our bodies and our organism that, that, that in that 80%, which is subconsciously holding our wounds and constantly recreating our wounds until it's time for them to be healed by surrendering to that. We're surrendering to this, you know, something below and beyond and greater than my own individual ego that already knows how to heal me and bring me and bring me alive. And, you know, I look in my progression of the way I teach TRE and I've always been passionate about, and I've said this a lot, I say, you know, get up off the floor, people. By that I mean not just tremor and shake in different positions like standing. What I mean is Stop seeing TRE or stop, stop seeing tremoring or the spontaneous involuntary movement as a practice we do 
And then we get up and we've end our practice and we go out to our lot, they go into our lives. And then when we get stressed, we come back and we do our practice because these movements are happening all the time, whether they're not just big physical external movements of the body moving through space or shaking, but our autonomic nervous system, just for one of giving it a nice Western model or name is constantly moving inside us. And so we don't need to, invoke tremors like I used to think and would have told people for 10 years. We simply need to connect to, and it's not even tremors. We simply need to connect with that which is moving inside us and that which is moving us, which is not my conscious mind. Um, and when we do that, we don't start, we don't stay separating going, Oh, now I'm tremoring. Oh, now I'm in life. Now I'm getting stressed. Now I tremor. We're going, my body is constantly moving. And this brings us back to what the, the statement we started with, which is for me um, kind of, you know, this insight that was coming to me that trauma is unresolved when it hasn't been able or it hasn't yet been time to fully move us. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't just mean shaking and tremoring the physical body. Generally what that means for me is it hasn't yet been time or my ego hasn't been allowed to, or the grace of God or whatever we want to call it. It just hasn't yet happened that the depth of the feeling and not just the emotion, but the movements that need to occur for the healing and the release of those holding patterns just haven't yet occurred. And I was really um, incredibly excited at the TRE workshop I did on the weekend to finally bring in this concept of what I'm calling the, I called the big three because in the trauma model I got introduced to, there's a big, you know, big focus on we've got to release fight and flight or the freeze mechanism or yeah. the mobility response. And that's, that's all true, but they're our defenses. And for me, what I'm aware of most in my life and my relationship is, you know, and as humans, we have physical threats and we have social threats. So my background was living in that hypervigilant state for four years in my, in this group of, you know, Lord of the flies, adolescent males. Mm -hmm. in permanent social threat and so what i become aware of is that often what our body is when our body is holding and containing and not moving it's not just not moving through the defensive responses it's that it hasn't yet moved to allow the expression of in terms of our wounded grief shame and vulnerability so we sort of think oh, i've got to get rid of the fight and flight response I've got to get rid of a stress response but when we do that what's under there that was there in the first place that's been activating those defenses basically it means often for me most of the time i haven't cried about it yet i haven't actually allowed my body to move not going oh, i haven't tremored but to allow that that welling up of pain or energy or and, and to allow that to show on my face to be heard in my voice to make my body shake and move in a way that i haven't yet been able to do and you know, the classic examples in my culture when I grew up, when we lose someone and we go to a funeral, you know, someone loses someone and they go to, we go to the funeral and we say, how were they? And we would say, yeah, they were really strong, which basically mean they hadn't grieved. And mm -hmm. what they really meant was they hadn't allowed the pain and suffering to move them, not just emotionally, but physically move their body, move their voices, allow them to cry, shake, wail, and let go of that tension and be witnessed and seen and supported in a community of people to be just deeply experiencing that human condition of the suffering, which is part of, seems to be part of our human condition. So for me recently, there's been this beautiful focus of expanding 
when I'm teaching TRE and tremoring of you know, the last workshop, I just got people to lie down on the floor and say, look, don't try and invoke tremors. Just connect and feel what's already moving inside you. Could be your breath. Could be your heart. Could be a heartbeat. Could be a movement. Could be a shake. It's already there. And when we yeah. connect to that life force or spirit, we hopefully start to get this idea of, hang on, this is happening all the time. And the beauty of that is going then, and this is the great, what I call, you know, the first of my great two liberations with TRE. The first one was learning, it's not up to me and my ego to have to create a happy and healthy body. Yes, I need to do things, but ultimately that 80% below the surface, I've got no access to that, but my body does. It knows what it's doing. It is that 80%. Mm -hmm. And when I surrendered myself and all my physio knowledge and all the things I thought my ego thought I should be doing and I should be, what I discovered was my body would start to heal me. And so in doing that, it was going, wow, when I lie down on the floor, quote, at that time doing TRE, this is moving me towards health and wellness and aliveness and reconnection with myself and through that with others in the world. But for me, my passion then was about saying, hang on. And that was, that was like the first great liberation. I need to let my ego relax so my, and, and allow my body to, to do what it needs to do. What a relief after being trained and indoctrinated in the physio world of it's up to me and my ego and my knowledge to heal you or do the healing and not to deny the, the reality that we can be involved and in all the great amazing things that physios and, and you know what we do do with our ego so i'm not denying that but this was the missing piece hang on my body knows more than i'm ever going to learn in a thousand degrees the second great liberation for me mick and, and i suppose this comes through um, another key key major life turning experience for me that I haven't mentioned yet was that my first real experience of this spontaneous and voluntary movement process came through the passion of meditation. And I had been doing a, I was on the third one of my uh, 10 day meditation where, um, and the, you know, the key thing is we just meditate on feeling the physical body. So it's just about going into the body. And I was on my third course and I was, um, I actually wasn't, I was only serving on the course. I was only meeting, meditating three or four sessions or hours a day. And at some point, my physical body began to move. I was sitting cross-legged and it started to sort of sway backwards. Now, normally I would have, when I'm in my big ego, I would have controlled that. But I was in this state of just observing and I felt it falling backwards and I thought, oh, this is weird. I feel like I'm not doing that. And then it tipped all the way back to the point where I was just about to fall back. And I'm like, oh, this is, and then I started getting nervous because I'm going to fall over in the meditation hall and affect everyone else. And then my body kind of just jolted and then slowly started to move forwards. I was like, wow, that just stopped me from falling over. And then when it got all the way forwards, I was thinking, oh my God, I'm going to fall on my face. And then it jolted and it went back. So I was having this mm -hmm. experience that as my conscious mind went into this deep observant witnessing state, that my body was starting to move and it felt good and it felt peaceful and it felt relaxing. So I snuck back into the hall late one night because I didn't want to um, disrespect the other people and, and stuff. And I allowed, I allowed my awareness to go into my arm and after you know, five or six days, it was like just feeling subtle sensation underneath all those coarse tensions and pain. And, and as I observed my arm as a whole entity, it started to spiral around and move and twist me in ways um, that I could, not, I could not consciously do. And before I went to that course, I couldn't lift my arm above my shoulder without chronic pain from swimming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, five or six days later, my arms <clears throat> are spinning up over my head 
in ways I just couldn't possibly do. And what would happen is it would twist and turn to a, take me into a stretch that was further than I'd ever done. And then it would jolt and it would twist back and spiral the other way and stretch me in the other direction. And then that would continue. And my little physio brain's trying to make sense of it. I'm going, oh, this is like a PNF pattern. This new, and it's taking me further each time as I just relax. And, and then I wondered what happens if I put my awareness in both arms and they both started to move. And I thought, what happens if I put my awareness in both legs and then my body? And then I spent a few hours spinning around the room the most blissful, amazing experience. My body was just moving freely. My mind also, Mick, was moving freely. It was like commentating or downloading information. And that was part of what I surrendered going, hang on, I'm going to let my mind go rather than trying to control it in the same way as having this experience of letting my body go. And one of the, one of the other, one of many extraordinary experiences about the knowledge of my body's knowing beyond my own sense, my own individual body was at one point, my body had spun me up into a single, uh, a single shoulder headstand. And what would happen is as I, as I was present, my body would do some extraordinary thing. And then I'm up on one shoulder with my head sideways and then I would lose that presence and I'd feel myself think to the future and anxiety would arise. I think, oh my God, I can break my neck here and be a paraplegic for the rest of my life. And when that thought came in, because I was in that process, I'd go, oh, hang on. I've just gone into the future. I've lost presence. I'm not dead yet. I'm not a paraplegic yet. Come back to presence. And as I do that, then I'd, I'd surrender into a deeper layer of peace and freedom and my body would keep moving. And then at one point, I'm on this one shoulder. I've got my eyes closed. I've got my legs are spinning up in the air really slowly and they're about to tip and I'm going through that process of, oh my God, I'm going to break my neck. Relax. Oh, I'm going to break my neck. Presence. And then just at the point where I thought I was going to tip, my toe touched something and then started to slowly spin back the other way. I opened my eyes. I had no idea where I was and I'd rolled over somewhere towards near the edge of the wall and my toe had touched the very tiniest little corner of a pot plant holder stand. And I remember so clearly going through the mind going, holy shit, my toe or my body knew that that was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that's a whole, that's probably a whole other podcast about, you know, going on from there. But what it meant was I had this experience of surrendering to my body and it was then in relationship with the world around it. And so my, what I call, what I like to, you know, call my second great liberation of, TRE was learning that just as I surrendered my conscious mind, when I surrendered to the wisdom of my body, it would move me towards health. The more I was able to surrender my conscious mind to my life and how I was working in life and what life was bringing me and not bringing me, like, for example, a partner that was destroying me and questioning, you know, all that stuff, the more I surrendered, the more I discovered and experienced that life itself seemed to have this innate wisdom and knowledge that was moving me towards where I really wanted to be in health and harmony. And for me, you know, this is one of the great things that I'm eternally grateful for Dr. David Berselli is this trauma model that he brought in to the shaking because what that gives us, and it's so critical, is an understanding that moving into our pain, moving into our suffering, moving into our trauma gives us an opportunity for it to be moved to move us and not just to move us so we can get rid of it but to grow and evolve us david baselli was always saying this 
you know, we as humans are not just designed to survive trauma. We are designed and have got to where we are in our position on the planet precisely because we have grown, we've grown through trauma. These days, thankfully, you know, there's the concept of post-traumatic growth. So, mm-hmm. you know, studying people whose lives transform from trauma. They all say, look, I wouldn't wish upon it on everyone, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to me because since I lost this child, I had my other child like I've never had them. Since that happened, you know, I've stopped working nine to five for the man. I've started living my purpose. I'm here helping people. So the, the gift that comes out of it and not just, you know, some sort of spiritual bypass. Oh, it's all wonderful. It's such a gift, but actually going through the pain and suffering in our bodies that, you know, David always talked about the people like Nelson Mandela and mother Teresa and Martin Luther King who chose, who made a conscious choice to go into their body, into their suffering to then transform it. Now, a critical part piece for me, Nick, was that in my life, I was very great. I was very blessed to not have capital T trauma. trauma you know, I hadn't been mm-hmm. abused. I hadn't been abandoned. And, but I knew that this tremoring and this process was helping me. But I just seemed like a general stress person. And so now I like to think of it around this sense of post-stress or you know, post-trigger growth, whatever you want to call it. Because when I... You know, when I walk into a room and my partner's a bit grumpy at me and I feel that fluttering in my chest and that nervousness, my shoulders come back and my my scrotum pull in a little bit and that little bloody, you know, tingle in my bladder. When when that happens, without this model of moving towards that and into the body, I would just say, oh my God, she doesn't like me. She's a bitch. I need to get away from her. I don't feel safe. But with the support of David's model and other people and the whole global community of going, hang on, wow, what's happening in my body? Don't go off into my head and think about it all the time, although that habitually still happens because that's the process of defense coming out of the body. Connecting to the body, what is moving me? And what would happen is when I was able to do that and then tremor, I would feel even better than where I was before I'd done a tremor. So I started to recognize that consciously at least, that all these things that were triggering or pushing me, you know, pushing my buttons, I had this, you know, very clear visual image of like, I'm just covered in a hundred red buttons or thousand red buttons. And some of them are small and you have to push me really hard until you get that, hit that nerve. And some of them make like a hundred meters stick and past and you only have to walk past and have a certain look or be a woman or, you know, not do what I exactly say. And that's triggering me. And so what it allowed me was to stop looking at the external triggers and to continually go, right, something's moving in me. What's happening? That button is inside me. This is an opportunity for me to heal that button and not consciously, but to allow that to move and heal. Um, you know, another saying I like to have, I say, is, you know, when I'm triggered, I've got to, I've got to stop looking at who pulled the trigger and look the fact that gun is still inside me. Mm-hmm. And this is an opportunity to allow that gun to, to move and shift and heal or the analogy that I love using is that now when I'm getting my buttons pushed or it's hitting a nerve or I'm triggered about someone, even though in that moment I might be reacting and all angry, I know in my being and I've been through this process enough to go, this is debriding me, like debriding a wound. When we have a wound that's not healed and it's pussy infected, if we want that to heal, we have to get in there and cut away some of that and that hurts. It's like, you know, when you prune a tree, it's not going, oh, that feels great. But there's a sense of the pruning leads to the flowering and the blossoming. And I've been very grateful and to be held and supported, not just by David Berselli, but a whole 
global community of people in the TRE world who are embodying this and helping call me and others constantly back to, hey, what's happening in the body? What's happening? Yeah, you're triggered. Yeah, I know you're pissed off, but what's going on in your physiology? And for me, this has been the missing, the missing piece because we tend to separate the bodies like medical health, physical health. Yeah. And, you know, and, and all the tra- and trauma and the emotional, that psychologist and the two don't meet. And for me, one of the greatest gifts of TRE is it sits firmly and squarely in between and incorporating both the body and the mind at the same time. And so Thank that you. a lot, I'll get, let me do one. I know you're <laughs> yes, going to wrap up. Sorry. Well, so you've that, told me you need to wrap up. Yeah, I need to wrap up. So that in conjunction with the model of understanding, which, cause if we don't have it in our Western culture, Mick, will tell you we have a linear restorative model that says if there's a problem, you mm-hmm. do something and it gets rid of it. And we've lost this inability to know the hero's journey, the dark night of the soul, the heroine's journey, that we heal by going into the darkness, by going into those places and not by trying to just get in there and avoid them, but allowing them to move us, to make us cry because in all that movement, it gives us more breath, more freedom, more energy as the grief, you saw before for me, that the overwhelming emotional flow of the gratitude flowing through my heart, the way I often came to that was by, I remember one day, this is my last story, I got up one morning, I was like, it's my partner's birthday, and I'm like, before she woke up, I want to feel deep, deep, deep gratitude for my partner. Then I sat there, tried to feel gratitude, I couldn't feel any. I could think it, I could tell you everything I was grateful for, but I couldn't feel it. I thought, what am I going to do? And then something came to me. I said, imagine what it would be like if I was standing at, at a church reading her. Oh, she's just calling now. How, how hilarious. <laughs> I'll just hang her up. What if I, I started to imagine, I said, what would it be like if I was standing at the church reading a eulogy and what would I say? And so I got a piece of paper and I wrote this letter and I started to feel this, you know, oh my God, and all these things started to flow. So I realized for me that, for me at least, the path, pathway to my gratitude was to go into my grief. And when I imagined losing her, I felt that grief. And at the same time, I felt this overwhelming love for other people. It can be the opposite. We go into our gratitude and through that, it helps us get in touch with our grief. So in summary, you know, it's about this journey of the body and that I just think, you know, I feel so grateful um, to everyone and everything on my, on my path and my journey and the, the people who love and support me and resonate, my dear new friend, Kang Hai, Kang Hai, said her name wrong, Kang Hai Lee from Korea, you know, who's just shown me that simply resonating in the physiology of the body was just helped transform me into a completely different space rather than everything on all the things I'm saying, like I'm doing now for now, which is also valuable. So mm-hmm. I hope that gives you a bit of a, um, you know, a bit of an understanding. And ultimately my, my real passion is hopefully that's helped move something in you and all the people who are listening or watching this. Don't just take it in as words. Allow when we say something's resonating, that means something's moving inside us and allow that to move, whether it makes you cry or feel happy or celebrate or, get angry it's that movement that's bringing us bringing us alive and for me that's ultimately what tre is it's not about doing an exercise and trauma it's about connecting into whatever moves us and has the knowledge and wisdom to move us not just in our physical body but to move us and animate through all of us and our lives 
That's absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the wisdom. I appreciate your vulnerability and the truth that you've spoken. Uh, that's great. You're very welcome. And, um, you know, I appreciate your uh, something that, Mick, I really honour in you that I don't have and I'm learning to move towards is your ability to sit and listen, which is something that is I'm not great at. Um, and the fact that those 15 different questions I said, please ask me this, this, and this, you didn't ask me one. <laughs> yeah. And you just open to. the space. And that, and, and I'm going to say one more thing if I can. That is probably one of the biggest things I learned off a couple of, off Jack Beach and the Aboriginal elder and another elder who was a grandfather to me, Uncle Max Harrison, Dajala Dullamunman. When I used to ask them about how did they create the magic that they did, um, Jack just said, I just create a space for people to walk into, which means I just see people how I'd like them to be and like, isn't that? And, and Uncle Max said when he was being initiated, he went to get a drink in the river and he got smashed by one of his elders. don't do that. He said, if you want to drink from that river, you've got to dig a hole next to the river, which means open a space and allow the water to flow in. And that's, I mean, that's the essence for me about what this process is. We lie down and open a space consciously in our ego mm-hmm. to allow stuff to happen. You've done it here where you've opened the space and then you've just sat back and allowed it to flow and not to say that we can't get in and direct it. Like you said, hey, come on, we need to wrap up. It's going too long. So we're engaging and being in relationship with it. Um, That's kind of the – That's I suppose in a way that's my purpose and penultimate gift really is to to help people experience what happens when we open space and allow life to animate us and, and flow through us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And you have to get going. You're welcome. I do. Thanks, Mick. Thanks to everyone out there listening. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Richmond. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Now, how'd you like them apples? Now, the only reason I interrupted Richmond at the end was because he said he had to go by a certain time when we reached it, so I didn't want him to be late for his appointment. Otherwise, I'd have just let him keep on talking. Now, to attempt to unpack that, where do I start? Okay, first thing that uh, came up was Richmond says, trauma is unresolved when it hasn't yet fully moved us. Now, TRE is really about embodying, feeling the body, listening to the body, allowing the body to express and move us. It has innate intelligence and it stores all our trauma and memories. But until the trauma moves us physically, it remains stuck within us. Until we connect with it in our body and express it through movement, whether it be tremoring or stretching or dancing or beating your chest or whatever. Then Richmond said, peace begins with me and ripples out. And I love that Richmond's awareness of the need for world peace brought him back to his family and himself. My teacher Gary of the Jade Sun School, he taught me to stop wanting the world to be other than it is and to own my own end of it. Because if we want to change the world, it comes back to us. The world is a mirror reflecting our self-image. Another way of saying it is we don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are. Gandhi said it in the way that he said, be the change you want to see in the world. It's not selfish to focus on healing yourself, in fact, it's an act of service to everyone. Another thing was let the energy move spontaneously. Spontaneity is key to letting go. And letting go is key to spontaneity. TRE is very much about letting go of your inhibitions and being free like that lovely experience Richmond described at the Vipassana retreat 
when his body moved with such grace, even his previously frozen shoulder. And a few weeks ago, I spoke to Neil Trainer from the Jade Sun School, and he spoke of needing to move while meditating, which is what led him to Tai Chi. See, movement can be meditation. It can be an uplifting spiritual experience if you surrender yourself fully to it. It can be profoundly transformative physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So let that movement become your meditation. You don't have to sit still in meditation. You can do it through movement. So, what next for Richmond and TRE Australia? Well, if you're new to TRE, there are introductory and practitioner workshops happening in Australia throughout the year. So go to treaustralia.com.au to get into your nearest one. Uh, Coming up really soon, there are the Trauma Revolution Retreats. And they're happening in Brisbane, November the 30th and December the 1st in Paddington. In Melbourne, they're happening on December 7th and 8th in Greensboro. And in Sydney, it's on December 14th and 15th in Crow's Nest. And what is the Tremor Revolution? Well, it's described as engaging spontaneous movement through the power of rhythm, relationship and group flow. So get onto the TRE Australia website to find out more about uh, Tremor Revolution. There is also a Facebook page specifically for Tremor Revolution. And the Facebook page, or it's an event, it's a Tremor Revolution Retreats 2019. And that, as I say, is on Facebook. So get on there if you want to find out more specifically about the Tremor Revolution Retreats. As for me, I'm in clinic in Doreen on Wednesday and Saturdays and in Avondale Heights on Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, That's in Melbourne. And I'm doing my usual acupuncture and neuromuscular massage for pain relief, as well as meditation, stress management and energetic healing. I may also have one more free TRE workshop coming up before the end of the year. So keep your eyes on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Solace Wellbeing. Uh, My website is solacewellbeing.com.au and the podcast Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash more than wellness podcast. Please like, share and follow us on iTunes, Spotify and whatever else you use to access your podcasts. And don't be afraid to leave a comment or review of the show. Now, next week, we'll be talking honey. Yeah, that's right, honey. I'll be talking to Nathan Stewart from My Axilla Honey, based right here in Doreen. Nathan is our local beekeeper and as well as selling delicious local honey, we buy it all the time, uh, it comes from local bees. He also provides training in beekeeping, beehive tours and beekeeping incursions for schools, childcare centres, etc. So we're going to talk all things honey, the amazing health benefits of honey, how to look after our bees. And what's the difference between that really good honey, raw honey, and say that store-bought supermarket honey? Is there a huge difference? There's a lot of stuff out there about supermarket honey and how the quality isn't great. So we're going to find out a bit more about that from Nathan. So looking forward to that episode. As always, thank you so much for listening and please stay well. Stay well.